episode of Hot Hardware's Two and a Half Geeks is brought to you by Gigabyte Motherboards and Graphics Cards. Gigabyte has promised us some next-level products to be unveiled at Computex 2019, so stay tuned to hothardware.com for future coverage. That's right. Thank you, Gigabyte. In this episode of Hot Hardware's Two and a Half Geeks, we're going to have AMD's E3 onslaught of Ryzen 3000, Radeon RX 5700, and Navi RDNA, WD Black SSDs, Netgear's Nighthawk with Wi-Fi 6, the OnePlus 7 Pro, and more, and more, and more. Next. Oh, my goodness. I was like, uh, I don't know. I was. I felt like wiki wiki. You know, I was scratching a turntable or something there on that tease. That was pretty rough. Hey, uh, welcome back. Good to have you with us once again, everybody. I'm Dave Altavilla for Hot Hardware and the show we lovingly call Two and a Half Geeks. And with me, of course, my friends and compatriots, Marco Chipetter and Chris Getting. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? You feeling funky and fresh like my tease? Probably wasn't. <laughs> oh, I am. Uh, I'm still jet lagged and beat up from this last AMD trip. So uh, I'll try to be coherent and look awake through this podcast. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You uh, you got in on a red eye yesterday. Was it a red eye? Or was it an early morning flight or something? Early morning flight. Car picked me up for the airport two thirty in the morning. So got home yesterday. Uh, yeah, that's always fun, huh? Fun, fun. And you were out uh, out in uh, scenic LA for E3, so lots of sights and sounds to report on for us. I hope there there was. I mean, lots of AMD news. I was there to specifically hear about Ryzen three thousand series and Navi, which has become the Radeon RX fifty seven hundred series. Um, lots of other you know little scoops and tidbits and interesting pieces of information. Meeting with all my colleagues from around the world. But um, yeah, it was uh, mostly AMD news, as everyone has seen out of E3. Yeah, yeah, tons of AMD news. A few, a few chirps of interesting stuff from the folks at Intel, and uh, I think even Nvidia made some announcements with uh, some game partners, game publisher partners. But um, Chris, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Exciting sights and sounds like uh, they have in LA, by chance? Oh, mostly keeping <laughs> busy with work. With our, because uh, the school year just ended, so there's an annual report thing that I've been working on. And but the weather has been nice up here. We've uh, mostly not had rain, which is a good turn of events. So been enjoying that, enjoying beer. Yes, yes. What's your uh, what's your beer beer thirty uh, flavor today? Yeah, so I've got the Harpoon Rec League, which is a session IPA, and so right. it's like. Yeah, it's like 3.8% and very, very light, but it actually tastes good. So, All right. Wow. Wow. Drinking responsibly, I see. That's good. I think they say 120 calories. So if you're, if you're looking to go light uh, and still want flavor, I think it's a great option. Uh, the folks at Harpoon, they make good stuff for sure, for sure. Um, I'm actually uh, imbibing something fantastic. This is um, Treehouse Brewing's seven note the the number seven um and uh, it's fabulous this is a local brewery in munson massachusetts and they make amazing beer that people line up for like literally line up for for hours to get looks like this super haze uh very uh, fruit forward new england ipa tasty 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 you could uh, almost eat it with a spoon it's it is a meal in a can. It's fantastic. Comes in a can. You pour it off in a glass. I, I would offer it was a better idea. But, anyways, that's our beer thirty sponsorship uh, or lack thereof. We don't have a sponsor. We just like drinking beer, at least a beer to go with the show. You know, we're open to uh, sponsors. That's it. That's it. <clears throat> sponsors uh, are welcome if you're if you're a beer uh, if you're a brewer. Um, yeah. Where where are you going to talk to you? <laughs> but let's, exactly. uh, especially let's... especially if you have special tech that you use to brew your beer, we want to hear about it. Maybe get you on the show, have an interview. Oh wow! Yeah, Lots geek beer, microcontrollers, geek. and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, geek beer up. tech that'd be good. 
Okay, well, cool. Let's uh, let's move on to real tech right now, um, but maybe we'll talk about beer tech uh, in the future. And uh, we're going to keep this moving today. We're going to keep it actually closer to a half hour. I think we're going to move to that as a new format to make things a little bit more digestible for folks. So we'll cut back on the banter and uh, talk uh, talk about specifics uh, in in uh, uh, succinct detail. But let's let's dive right in. Marco was, as previously stated, out at E three and has uh, spent some time some time with the good folks at AMD. We've all been actually briefed and uh, have uh, poured many hours into reporting on their announcements. Boy, they were just firing on all cylinders out there. AMD Zen two architecture explored. What makes Ryzen 3000 so powerful? Marco, what's their special sauce? Is it beer? Is it? No? No, there's there's lots of special sauce with a couple of special condiments and a special plate to put it in. You know, everything about the Ryzen 3000 series um, has a little something that, that push the pro- pushes the product forward. So, you know, back at Computex, AMD announced... Um, five Ryzen 3000 series processors. Turns out that the initial launch family is uh, eight processors. So if you come check out our architecture piece at the end, um, there are a couple of APUs that were announced. Now, those APUs are still based on uh, the current gen technology. The model numbers are just updated. Clocks have been tweaked slightly. But in addition to the Ryzen 5 3600X on up to the Ryzen 9 3900X that was announced at Computex. Uh, AMD unveiled, you know, the sort of surprise. I hinted at the last podcast that a 16 core is possible. And lo and behold, they launched a 16 core, the Ryzen 9 3950X. And that big boy's uh, 16 cores, 32 threads, going to launch at 750 bucks. Um, pricey, yes, but it's half the price of a competitive Intel processor. And Intel, I'm sorry, and AMD is claiming leadership basically across the board. So even though these chips are using uh, chiplet technology, so there's two eight-core die and then an I.O. die on each processor, uh, the way that they've cranked up the cache, the way that they've tweaked the Infinity Fabric and support for faster memory speeds will supposedly negate any weird memory latency issues with uh, memory having to hop off the CPU cores and out that I.O. die. And they also have increased the single-thread IPC to be on par with Intel's latest chips. And they've sort of rejiggered how SMT works, how the symmetrical multiprocessing works. So multi-threading scales better than the first gen as well. And all this, even the top end, 16 cores, only 105 watt part. So all of the information out of AMD has been really positive. So needless to say, I'm really looking forward to checking these guys out. Nice. Yeah, that that's what's impressive to me about this family of products that's been introduced. AMD is not only claiming IP, you know, basically IPC parity, single thread performance with Intel, but they're claiming multi-thread and a multi-thread advantage. The quote unquote, I think I think the quote was something like the best multi-threaded performance uh CPU on the market. Um, or was it multi-thread and single-thread? Robert Halleck made a quote, a statement about that. Um, Marco, do you recall that statement? I know. I know yeah, he's cl- claiming uh, single-thread and multi-thread leadership. Yeah, leadership in the market, and 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 that's like that is a bold statement, a bold statement to be sure. And uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding. They certainly showed some uh, some metrics. Um, I think Intel fired back with um, a little bit of something that I'll drop into the chat. Um, uh, an article we covered where uh, an Intel exec was saying, basically, you know, hey, it's great with synth- synthetic benchmarks, but let's look at real world applications and, you know, uh, show me, show me your performance in real world applications. Um, but, you know, because the AMD uses a lot of Cinebench uh, and other, um, you know, synthetic metrics like that to, to demonstrate how uh, they have anyways, uh, rise in performance in the past. And this time was no exception. So, yeah, interesting stuff uh, to be sure. It'll be great to get these things in and kick the tires ourselves and prove out their um, their projected performance, you know, graphs that they they made claims. You know, that this thing would outpace. I think what was the uh, uh, I know the sixteen core chip. Uh, they they claimed it would outpace a ninety nine sixty X Core i nine ninety nine sixty X from Intel. You know, sixteen core versus sixteen core. 
as you noted, for half the price. Um, man, that is just like, who would have thought that, right? I mean, just absolutely uh, impressive claims. Are you expecting those uh, those benchmark figures and claims to uh, to, to prove out? Um, I want to say yes, for the most part. I mean, I witnessed the, the Cinebench world record uh, get hit on an overclocked 3950X. I've seen game runs. I, I've seen stock Cinebench runs. Now, these are not tests I've run myself yet. This is stuff I've just watched run in front of me uh, during demos. And everything AMD is saying came true in the tests I saw. No weirdness, no crashes that they had to rerun. This stuff was just working. But the the cynic in me still thinks that even with that massive L3 cache, there's going to be instances where a compute core has to hop off, you know, go to that IO die out to system memory, and it's going to add latency. And we're probably going to see some corner cases where that's an issue. Um, but, you know, I should mention another thing AMD has done with this launch is they've worked closely with Microsoft. And in the May uh, 2019 update to Windows 10, there were scheduler changes to Windows made that will better utilize the CCXs and AMD's architectures. So anyone with a Ryzen CPU um, over time will likely see a performance increase. Now, it wasn't clear. So you need the May 2019 update and the latest chipset drivers that are coming with these chips. It, no one gave a clear answer on whether those drivers were going to help the previous gen processors also, but there's a possibility of a performance uplift across the board if those Microsoft scheduler changes, you know, transfer to the existing Ryzen stuff as well. So, I mean, it was really just lots of good news for AMD. Yeah, yeah, lots of good news for sure. That's that's good stuff. Boy, I tell you, um, you know, yeah, I, I think I think we're all expecting good things from Ryzen uh, 3000, and, and we'll see how it proves out in the benchmarks. There's there's a power uh, story to 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 this uh, to the Ryzen three family as well, and significantly better power efficiency, you know, on a per core basis, right? Well, seven nanometer for AMD versus Intel's fourteen nanometer still, and you know you, you see an Intel processor with a TDP of one hundred sixty five watts and a AMD processor of one hundred and five watts. Now, how yeah. it all translates in the real world remains to be seen. Again, we, we will test that. But yeah, I mean, literally AMD is claiming leadership on power efficiency, single thread and multi-thread. So yeah. that's a, all, all, all the above with, and price. With price aggressiveness, you know, with aggressive pricing. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. If, if, if everything comes true, it's going to be um, interesting to see how things unfold. Good stuff for sure. Um, and, and that's, you mentioned that fat cash, by the way, that is... That is one way you hide um, hop latency between between uh, processing uh, elements is to have a very fast localized cache, and so it makes sense to me that uh, they had to they had to bulk up the cache on board. That cache, by the way, will affect power a little bit because uh, um, it depends on what kind of cache structure, what kind of memory structure that they're, they've built it out of. But generally speaking, memory eats, eats power. Chris, what are your thoughts real quick before we move on to the next segment, which is, which is Radeon Navi? What do you, what do you um, think about uh, Ryzen 3000? I mean, I think you guys have covered it all. It's a nice big leap. It's uh, very exciting for even uh, you know current owners of Ryzen 2000 series chips because you are getting so much improvement over those. And because it has the backwards compatibility with at least a lot of the older boards, uh, it's a pretty easy prospect to upgrade, especially if you need that the horsepower, the better integration. So um, I like what I'm seeing. I can't wait to uh, get it in the lab. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and and I just dropped another link in the chat. AMD Ryzen 9 3950X drops 16-core, 32-thread Zen 2 bombshell on PC gaming market. Interesting that on that chip, um, oh, uh, John moved on to Radeon, but interesting on that on that 16-core chip, before we move on to Radeon, um, that, that AMD is talking about it from a gaming perspective. Marco, what are your thoughts on a 16-core chip as a, as a viable gaming option? I mean, certainly it's great for content creation and heavy, heavily threaded workloads, but gaming, is that a, a fair use of silicon? Is it a fair use? Well, yes and no. Um, with the improved single-thread IPC, it's going to be, even with all those cores, going to be a great gaming processor with all that cache as well. Keeping more data close to the CPU is not going to hurt gaming, that's for sure. And, you know, as gamers do more things, 
those extra cores will get will get utilized. You know, the AMD did a demo, you know, streaming a really high quality video stream at the same time. And, you know, the 12 core AMD processor looked way better than an eight core Intel processor. Now, the test was set up, maybe not exactly how a streamer would actually set things up. Everything was tied to the CPUs for the best quality possible. So, you know, they weren't utilizing any GPU in the system. And obviously, those extra four cores make a huge difference. Same thing if you bump it up to 16, you're going to have even more resources available to the system. Plus, and I say this all the time, talking about multi-threaded stuff, most people make the assumption, you know, they jump to, you need a single app that's going to use all the threads to benefit. And that's not the case because every process on a system can be a thread or use multiple threads. So the more threads available means more resources available to the OS, fewer slowdowns, fewer hiccups where one thing kicks in and another one slows down. So the experience overall will probably be better, whether it's some sort of night and day difference in a game, not for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I, I agree. I think I think gamers do a lot more with their system than just game. And as you noted, there's lots of background tasks going on. Maybe it's uh, you know a messenger instance or something like that, or maybe you are streaming or or what have you. And um, you know, lots of different uh, threads going on in a, in a system when you're gaming. Uh, or the average use case, I would say. Let's move on, though. Let's talk about graphics. Let's talk about AMD's Unveils Navi RDNA architecture under the hood of Radeon RX 5700. Uh, That was uh, something we burned out real quick. Impressive chip again. Uh, 7 nanometer, uh, 10 billion transistor GDDR6. They've moved away from HBM and a consumer GPU. Marco, thoughts on Radeon 5700 XT and uh, Radeon 5700. Um, really good stuff. So in a bubble, Navi looks great. Um, they've basically <laughs> completely revamped the core architecture. So the the last, I think it was six or seven years worth of AMD GPUs leveraged the GCN architecture, Graphics Core Next. So through Fiji and Hawaii, you know, and the most recent uh, Radeon Vega and the Radeon 7, the cores inside those GPUs were based on GCN. Now, Navi is brand new. It's the AMD's calling it their RDNA architecture, and the cores in the chip have been completely redesigned. the The layout of the chip, the layout of the chip itself, is different. Um, the cache structure is different, as you mentioned, using GDDR6 versus HBM2 um, or HBM at all. So back to using you know external separate memory, and what AMD has achieved seems great for the current generation of games. So it's it's only a 7 nanometer. Uh, it's built at 7 nanometer. The entire GPU is only 251 square millimeters. I think it's almost half the size of Vega, not counting the HBM2. And AMD is going to get higher clocks out of these chips. They're paired to GDR6 at 14 gigabits. So, you know, half a terabyte a second, just under half a terabyte a second of memory bandwidth. And there are three cards that were announced. So the Radeon 5700 XT is going to be the, the upper enthusiast class card. So $450 card taking on the more expensive uh, GeForce RTX 2070. And in the test AMD showed, the 5700 XT was faster about 80% of the time. It's not a clean sweep, but it was faster, faster like 80% of the time. The 5700 non-XT is going to be priced, I believe it was $399. Uh, that AMD mentioned. And that card takes on the, the RTX 2060. And in the benchmarks AMD showed in that comparison, the 5700 won across the board by larger margin. And the architecture, the RDNA architecture and the Navi GPU is really geared for more efficiency and, and IPC than Vega. So what AMD has seen currently is about 25% better um, IPC than Vega at 50% better power. Now, the cards still look like they're going to use more power than a GeForce RTX. They have two power connectors, and TDP of the upper-end card is rated for 225 watts. Um, But we have to test things for ourselves. Like This is a weird one. Now, the one thing missing is any sort of hardware-accelerated ray tracing. Now, some people don't care. Some people are jumping on NVIDIA because the ramp to use ray tracing in games has been slow. But the bottom line is uh, the ecosystem is there for ray tracing. Uh, More and more games are announcing or supporting 
uh, NVIDIA did innovate in that regard, and AMD doesn't have uh, a hardware-accelerated clear answer for consumer PCs just yet. And, uh, yeah, th these are launching the same day as the CPUs. We're looking forward to testing these out. And just quickly, one more quick mention. Uh, Dr. Sue whipped out like a big surprise at the end of her keynote and showed the 5700 XT Anniversary Edition, which has even higher clocks. Um, not many details on that one yet, but that'll be sold direct from AMD in limited quantities. Cool. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think it's going to be an interesting product to watch, uh, certainly as we get it in for testing. I think that's really where the rubber meets the road. I mean, certainly there's claims of it being on uh, on par or slightly faster in the X, in the standard XT, non-anniversary non edition with a 2070, uh, the 5700 standard uh, uh, ahead of a 2060, an RTX 2060, um, except as you noted, when it comes to uh, games with ray tracing enabled or the, the ray tracing enabled features, lighting, reflections. Um, and, and that's, that's a, that's a notable thing to, 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 you know, to, 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 you know, consider. And that's, Hey, look, there are games now in development, major game engines uh, supporting them from unreal engine to the unity engine, multiple triple a titles from battlefield five to, um, uh, certainly Watch Dogs came out. I think it was uh, Cyberpunk 2077 is going to have it. I mean, the, the list is starting to mount now. Call of Duty, big, big name titles are, are supporting ray tracing. And so it is here and now Microsoft has DXR. And I don't think AMD can ignore that anymore. And they've commented that they'll have it in future generation product. Not here in Navi, uh, or at least this iteration of Navi. Um, and so... We'll have to weigh how that all, you know, shakes out uh, once we run the numbers. Once you run the numbers, buddy, uh, in in our in our benchmarks, um, and and then weigh the value proposition for gamers. You know, whether it be now or in the future, you know, down the road, how how that investment holds up, how it ages. I think that's kind of these are the key things. But hey, good stuff for AMD again. A first in GPU, seven nanometer GPU. Chris, what are your thoughts there about Radeon Navi? Um, well, I think it, it looks fantastic from a performance standpoint, obviously not having ray tracing sucks, but I think AMD can still get away with it for this generation. I, I don't know about in the future, just because the, the market of games that support ray tracing is still very, very slim. It, it is growing bit by bit, but you can probably count on one hand, the number of real first party titles still supported. Um, the, uh, the biggest thing that bugs me about it is is the naming scheme, the marketing thing. I feel like AMD like takes their naming conventions and really jumps around a lot with them, and makes it tough to follow. Especially when we've already seen, you know, back to the Radeon HD fifty six hundreds and and beyond. I, I think there's room for confusion there. That hmm. I, I don't I don't know what they're really hoping yeah. for with that. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Interesting observation. I, I, yeah. Uh, there's, there was Radeon seven, which was, you know, the last iteration of Vega with HBM and, um, mm -hmm. yeah, the biggest, the, the 64, the 56, and then you have like right. the RX 480. And before that, then of course, it's all over the map. The, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're and, right. I mean, you, none of the none of the manufacturers are good. Intel is not very good at numbering their stuff. It's, it makes a little more sense, I guess, sometimes until they yeah. got to the gold silver stuff that I still don't quite get. Um, you know, Nvidia is better. They've now looped up to the thousands. You know, we had like the 9800s way back when, but it's been a while now, and I yeah. feel like AMD just can't really decide on what they want to be. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You're you're right. Nvidia went from 98, you know, 970, you know, 900 series to to to, to 1080, 1000 series or or 1000 series whatever. And then now we're in the 2000s. And so there's a logical progression there that you can follow from GPU architecture and then up the stack 60, 70, 80. I mean that that if all If you ignore the 1660. Right. Yeah, that was you're right. There was a little misstep there too. Yeah, Chris. I, don't get it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, these are good points. But um, yeah, no, I think it's um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch Navi. We're we're excited to see it. There's lots of uh, 
Cheers, buddy. There's lots of uh, uh, good things that could come from this, and, and, and not the least of which is driving the price uh, spectrum for you know upper mid-range graphics. Marco, what do you think about pricing? And then we'll move on. Um, pricing is, if the numbers play out as AMD presented them, Technically, pricing is aggressive. Um, if it beats 2070 and it's about $50 cheaper at current street prices, that's good uh, for the 5700 XT. If the uh, 5700 beats the RTX 2060 as AMD presented and it's roughly the same price or slightly more, um, technically that's good. As a long time, you know, f- someone that's followed AMD for, for decades now, I, I kind of hope they'd be a little more aggressive. Um and shake things up with pricing, but with NVIDIA sort of setting the new high bar with the RTX series, you know, AMD feels say like this is what we can get if that's what RTX is commanding. And so, you know, we, we get a $450 card with a, a tiny die. Um, one thing I do want to quickly say about Navi, I had an off the record conversation with somebody about AMD voicing those concerns and concerns about um, ray tracing, et cetera. And, as, as excited as they were for this current iteration of Navi, uh, he told me to look at this card as the first generation, uh, generation of Ryzen, and Navi is going to do for GPUs what Zen did for CPUs for AMD, so that the, the next couple of years are going to be great. I hope that's true. Wow. Wow. That's a nice, that's a nice little gem of hope to... Uh to put out there on the horizon. Excellent. Ray of hope, what have you, uh, we're talking (laughs) ray tracing. Um, well, Hey, no, that's, that's great stuff. And thanks for that, Marco. That's, that's insightful. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll look forward to good things with Navi and hopefully, you know, they can, they can, uh, you know, sell some of these things and they'll, uh, they'll do well in the market. I think it's an interesting note. You make seven nanometer GPU, tiny GPU, relatively speaking. I think that's part of the the pricing pressure problem, not the problem, but the pricing pressure uh, reality, when you talk about a seven nanometer GPU, GPU designs inherently from a silicon standpoint are big honking chips. Uh, it's different when you can talk about CPU cores and chiplets and that kind of design. But when you're talking about a single contiguous GPU design in seven nanometer, it's a big honking chip, even though it's in seven nanometer, it's which is relatively smaller than you know a 12 or 14 nanometer chip. But um, the cost in silicon for bleeding edge seven nanometer technology, when you talk about a larger die size, is something that that drives cost at at the end product level. It's 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 definitely up there as the process matures, as seven nanometer matures, and that single monolithic die is able to be optimized for throughput and yield in, in the fab. Yeah, that's when it gets really cost efficient. But right now, it's still seven nanometers cutting edge so yeah you know it's 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 uh, they're they're leading a curve there in terms of process and manufacturing process as intel has demonstrated over the its its lifetime manufacturing process you know the machine the manufacturing machine can really be a strength so kudos to them for for leaning on leaning hard into the seven nanometer goodness all right let's move on chris and talk about wd's black sn oh no marco's going to talk about wd's black <laughs> wd's black sn 750 nvme heatsink ssd my god that's got all kinds of names colors numbers uh what's it all about marco so a really fast ssd from uh, wd um WD launched the SN750 a few months ago, the original one, sans the heatsink. Um, it's basically the it's an update to last year's WD Black. It's technically the same hardware underneath, but new firmware, a couple of tweaks here and there. And what you get is a uh, NVMe gumstick SSD capable of about 3.4 gigs per second reads with three gig per second writes on the uh, the one terabyte model, which is the fastest. The the other, the, the slightly bigger one and the smaller ones have slightly different performance, but you're talking a, a really fast NVMe SSD. And what WD did with this particular model is uh, affix a really really big for an SSD heatsink on this guy. So it, it eliminates any potential issues basically with thermal throttling, provided that you're using it in a system with proper cooling. If you've got a fan moving in your system and your system's running, even if you're not an insane psycho with cooling, if your system runs optimally with a couple of fans and you have this SSD in there, it's basically never going to throttle because it's got a massive heatsink on it. So a uh, really nice SSD. 
fairly competitively priced. It's not the cheapest because this is one of their premium models. Um, but you're, you're looking at a, a one terabyte SSD that competes with something like the Samsung 970 Evo and Evo Plus. It, depending on the test, it kind of falls in between those two drives, which are two of the the nicest NVMe SSDs you can buy in the consumer space. And pricing is about 24 cents a gig. So not ultra cheap like the entry-level drives, but not a killer either. So a uh, really nice SSD from WD here. Competes price-wise with the 970 Evo um, or the Evo Plus? So yes and no, right? If you buy the model without the heatsink, it's actually a little bit cheaper. The one with the heatsink does add a premium. Um, I forget exactly how much. It's like a $25 premium for the heatsink. That's <laughs> enough to skew the pricing uh, in favor of the Samsung drive, but that's without a heatsink. Now, I mean, the heatsink really is, is for looks and if you, know, if, if you are worried about thermals. So there's a premium there. If you don't need the heatsink, you think it's just you know marketing fluff, you can save a few bucks and get one without it. If you think it looks cool, and you want that extra cooling? It's still a still a badass SSD. Is it me, or is that an EK uh, logo on that heatsink? Like as an EK water box? I think it is. It looks like an EK logo. Yeah, I think it is. I think that I don't remember who they partnered with, and I don't want to say the wrong thing, yeah, but that's I it. think it is. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it, it's that's uh, that's fascinating to see a, a boutique, you know, cooling solution uh, supplier here on what is obviously a high volume product. So they they worked with EK to engineer a, a heatsink design to to wick away thermals from from the SSD. Um, <clears throat> and and I think and, and so I guess the question is too. And you you mentioned the premium on the on on the heatsink version. What use case thermally challenges an SSD? Is it long sequential transfers? Maybe you're doing video editing, or is it, you know, heavy duty multitasking? Any any idea what stresses a, a thermal constraint of a of an NVMe SSD? Well, sort of all of the above. When when it's under a constant load, you know, the first couple of generations of motherboards and the setup, like lots of them had the M.2 slot. It ends up being partially covered by a graphics card or, mm. you know, they weren't optimally positioned. They didn't have built in lots of motherboards now come with like a heat plate that you mount over the car, over the, the SSD. But there was a lot, a couple of years there where they, the M.2 slots weren't optimally positioned. And if you're whacking on your SSD, you, you can get it to thermally throttle for sure. Now, yeah. this particular one would never go in a notebook because of that heat sink. But in a notebook mm-hmm. or like a NUC where you have a Wi-Fi card and a bunch of stuff crammed in a tight space, you can definitely make an SSD uh, throttle if, if you're hammering it. So th- this particular guy would basically eliminate that fear in a system as long as there's some airflow. Now, a lot of another thing people don't understand about heat sinks, the coolest they're going to get is ambient temp. And if there's no mm-hmm. air flowing over the heat sink, yeah. it eventually will get saturated and not do anything. Right. But as long as there's air moving over it, you can, you know, it, it can absorb a lot more heat from a chip and, and eliminate the throttling. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Chris, any thoughts on, on the WD black SN 750 uh, before we move on to, uh, I was just gonna. I was gonna mention the uh, make sure you're not trying to cram this in a notebook that doesn't have the Z height clearance for it. Uh, what what is the what what is the thickness of this? Um, uh, the I have the physical dimensions here with heat sink. Um, height is eight point one millimeters. Without a huh. heat sink, they're two point three eight millimeters. So you're talking about you know less than six millimeters, right. but that's so way too much to fit in the. It's notebook. substantial. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so that is, that is something to keep in mind with it. Um, and, and you see in a lot of these notebooks that we tear down, they've got thermal pads there for the drive anyways. So shouldn't be too big a deal to go without the heat sink in those cases. Um, but definitely a consideration. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, that's smartphone thickness for relative gauge, a little thinner yeah. than smart smartphone thickness. Uh, and we'll talk about a, a a smartphone before we wrap up. But let's let's move on. Interesting stuff. The, the WD Black 750 NVMe solid state drive with heatsink. Hey, you know what? I I like seeing WD Western Digital, uh, you know, powerhouse hard drive spinning hard drive manufacturer now 
innovating and, and trying new things with, with solid state. Certainly their SanDisk acquisition um, has helped them in that regard, but it's great to see them uh, continuing to innovate and, and push the envelope with NVMe. Good stuff from the folks at WD, definitely hot hardware, not in the literal sense because it's got a heat sink, but in terms of performance. So there, there you go. All right, so let's uh, let's move on and uh, wrap up quickly here. The Netgear Nighthawk AX8 router review that we did, that Paul Lilly did, and and Chris will speak about the next gen Wi-Fi six networking. Look at that thing; looks like something out of Star Wars, like a you know, Tie Fighter uh, kind of design. My goodness, is it Tie Fighter or X Wing? Oh. I don't know. Anyways, the Nighthawk. It's uh, it's cool. It looks like something Darth Vader would strap himself into by gum. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> yeah, so if if I want my wicked mana points, I, I got to call it a rooter. But besides that, uh, <laughs> it's it's a rooter. Hey. It is what it is. Um, so yeah, so this brings Wi-Fi six capability with it, um, and Wi-Fi six is very nice in in naming because it simplifies that GNAC gobbledygook that. Uh, no one outside of the tech field seems to really understand. Technically, it is AX if you if you still want to go that way. But Wi-Fi six makes it nice and simple, AX. and then you can go back yeah. to Wi-Fi five for uh, for AC and N previously. But anyways, what this is bringing to the table over the previous generations beyond throughput is kind of how it handles multiple devices on your network. So we we already had uh, and Mumimo, however you want to say it. Uh, basically uh, multi-user, multiple input, multiple output um, channels on AC routers so that they could talk with multiple devices at once in their own channel. Um, With this, it brings orthogonal frequency division multiplexing, um, which uh, is kind of a way of saying that it can take that one channel and talk to multiple devices over it, breaking it up so they have smaller little bits that they're talking at a time so it can switch things up very quickly and transmit more efficiently uh, through that process. So if you have a home network with, you know, 16 smartphones, 12 laptops, and, you know, on and on and on, as it seems some homes are getting to when you add in your smart TVs and everything else, you get a very cluttered uh, wireless situation going on um so so the wi-fi 6 really helps you sort that out and deal with them all very efficiently um now to get the most out of it technically all your devices would need to be wi-fi 6 compatible which we aren't there yet the galaxy s10s um support wi-fi 6 um but you know your laptop right now your your desktop they're they're not going to be supporting it yet um cards are coming but even for our review here, we had to test with wireless AC uh, receivers because we don't have any Wi-Fi 6 adapters out yet. Nevertheless, we when we compared it versus the, the Linksys AC5400, which is one of the better uh, AC routers out there, this kind of trounced it in throughput um, in a lot of tests. So even if all your devices are AC and you can't make the most out of Wi-Fi 6, it's still going to be a very nice performance pickup if you're using the throughput. So again, we're, we're hitting near gigabit speeds wirelessly with this, which is incredible. You're, it's not going to get you a faster connection out to the internet. So if you've got a 100 meg connection like I do, it's not going to help you there. But if you're transferring a lot of files between computers within your network, you're going to see improvement, um, and it's also going to hold its signal over a pretty solid distance. So we were seeing very strong signals out past 50 feet um, with our tests uh, and through obstacles, which was very, very promising with, with this router. That said, I think the MSRP on this was $400. So you've got to ask yourself if you are, you know, if you really have the need to spend several bills on uh, on a router, um, if you're, if you're going to drop the money on a router, this is absolutely one you should take a look at. You, you might as well go with Wi-Fi six because it's going to increase in adoption. We saw AC pick up pretty quickly. Um, so I, I don't think Wi-Fi six is going to be too different within the next five years for sure. You're probably 
90% of the devices you use will support it. So it's, it's a good way to future proof now. Um, if you want, if you're in the market for a high end router anyways, if you're still just, you know, if you, if you just want a router to have a router and you've only got a couple of devices stick with AC for now, you'll be fine. Um, but yeah, we, we, uh, liked what we saw here that, I mean, yeah. cost is downside, but other than that, the performance is phenomenal. Um, the coverage is great. Yeah. Yeah. And no, and actually, uh, <laughs> it does look cool. It looks like, uh, some sort of spaceship. Good, good point there. Um, yeah, I will, I will say on the pricing side, it's actually, and, and we noted this, it was coming down sort of as we published we're, we're at three forty five currently on Amazon. I can throw a link in the chat on that. Um, but basically, uh, MSRP I think has been dropped to even three forty nine. again, three forty five on Amazon and I'll go ahead and link this up. So yeah, it's, it's coming down. Um, and I, and I think that you, you make a good point. We used a, a, um, a Netgear Wi-Fi 6 USB adapter plugged into a notebook for our testing. That allowed us to, uh, to test its throughput. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was Wi-Fi 5. We, we, the, we did two routers connected adapters, together yeah. to get the Wi-Fi 6 numbers. The USB really? adapter was, yeah, was AC. Yep, AC. Well, okay, because I thought I saw there was an AC notebook in there too. But, um, anyways, yeah, you're not gonna. The, the point being is, Wi-Fi six is not ubiquitous, uh, and so as you noted, Chris, it's definitely a uh, a future proofing kind of thing, and it's coming. We we know for sure that uh, Wi-Fi six is is an integral part of next generation mobile designs, uh, as defined by uh, chipsets from Qualcomm and others. And so uh, it's coming fast and furious, but right now you're probably not going to tap into this. That said, it, it has the throughput capabilities and the processor capabilities on board this router, uh, you know, again, as well for, for that multi-user MIMO. It supports multi-user MIMO with 802.11ac technology as well. So you'll gain, you'll gain some of that, you know, multi-device network uh, performance there. Marco, any thoughts? I know you're a big networking nerd as well, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Wi-Fi 6 is coming with Ice Lake. Uh, there, it's going to be, there's going to be a big push because it, it, it updates a lot of things about wireless networking and improves reliability, improve, improves capacity, improves range, improves throughput. Um, it's going to be part of Ice Lake. We have others, as you mentioned, coming out with chipsets. So expect it to come fast and furious. Plus, it's probably going to be um, their preferred solution for um, I don't think we're going to get multi-gig, like 10 gigabit routers in the home, but 2.5 gig and five should be coming uh, this year as well. And you're going to want that faster Wi-Fi to take advantage of it. So yeah, they're they're really pricey, these these first couple of first generation devices, but just like all the other ones, expect them to come down mm-hmm. relatively quickly. And yeah, you know, there's a not only an upgrade in terms of the wireless performance, but you end up with faster SOCs and you know more memory in these routers. Just overall, it makes the online experience typically better. Do we know what the chipset is in this in this fella? It's got to be. Uh, I'm sure we do, but I don't remember. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking for I think it now. Broadcom, actually, but I'm Broadcom, not sure. Broadcom. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to scan this. Anyways, check out the full review. We we linked it up in the chat. Um, and it's it's certainly something to watch if you're if you're not in the market for a uh, a router currently keep an eye on Wi-Fi six enabled devices and routers uh, like this uh, because uh, 802.11ax is uh, is the next thing it's uh, the next Wi-Fi it's after AC they went to AX there's a logical progression there but now we're calling it a little bit simpler Wi-Fi six I like that maybe the next one will be Wi-Fi seven right Chris. That, yeah, you know, simple. I mean, <laughs> d- depends depends who's behind the naming. I mean, AMD could take over something, and then who knows what. But or maybe screwed. we'll have a consulting business where we help companies name their products. There you go. Yeah, sounds like folks could use some help. But I tell you uh, what, one company, and we're going to close on this one. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to. Uh, petition you all to to stop by the site and check out this review as well. One company that does not have an issue with naming convention and the logical progression thereof is OnePlus, who uh, launched not too long ago the OnePlus 7 Pro. Uh, 
Johnny, I don't know if he could flash that up on the screen, but I just got through doing our full review. There's my geek mitt holding the the OnePlus 7 Pro. It is a beautiful uh, 6.7 inch Android flagship phone with copious amounts of horsepower. Snapdragon 855 under the hood, 12 gigs of RAM in my configuration, 6 to 12 gigs of RAM available, up to 256 gigs of, gigs of storage. Flash storage is UFS 3.0, so fast, um, a faster interface for the onboard storage. The display is sublime. I'm going to blow out the camera here. Uh, there it is. Uh, the display is fantastic. You won't you won't see it well on uh, on the webcast here, but but this is a a um, a six point seven inch uh, AMOLED display, six point six seven inch, excuse me, AMOLED display, thirty one twenty by fourteen forty QHD plus ninety hertz refresh. When you've seen this thing and how snappy it is with the Snapdragon eight twenty uh, eight fifty five and twelve gigs of RAM, you're just not going to want to go back to anything else. It's it's beautiful, it is fast, and uh, I don't know what else I can say about it. The camera one of the one of the drawbacks of um, OnePlus phones in the past has been their cameras have been sort of eh. This camera is a triple camera array, telephoto, wide angle, and standard uh, forty eight megapixel Sony IMX. I'm trying to think what the sensor is. Anyways, IMX five eighty six. The camera on this is competitive with the top flagship phones in the market. So all of that, 4,000 milliamp hour battery. Um, so good battery life, mm, not, not the best, sort of middling in terms of battery life. And I think that's in part uh, because of this display and its 12 gig of RAM configuration that, that eats a little bit of power too. Six or eight gigs of RAMs, uh, gigs of RAM configuration are available as well. Might save some battery life. I think it's mostly the display. Even when we turned it back to 60 hertz and 1080p, we only got like another half hour of, of, of battery life. So middling, relatively speaking, battery life performance, trying to sum things up quickly. Um, but definitely capable of, of all day uptime. One of, if not the best, in my opinion, Android smartphones on the market today, certainly in terms of value, when you consider its price tag, which starts at 669, uh, eight, uh, that's the six gig of RAM, 128 gig variant, eight gigs at 256 gigs of storage at like 699, and then 750 is the top end, 256 gigs of storage, 12 gigs of RAM. I mean, when you consider an iPhone, uh, 10 XR or excuse me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, my goodness, uh, you know, the pricing starts at seven forty nine and goes up from there to, you know, North of $1,200. It's just, it's, it's amazing how, how well this phone is priced. And, uh, I just can't recommend it enough. Few drawbacks, uh, you know, missing wireless charging, uh, missing, um, a headphone jack, you know, uh, USB-C is the only way there. OnePlus had it on the on the the OnePlus 6T, the previous generation. I was hoping that would come back, but no headphone jack. Uh, and then battery life is kind of it's okay. It's not the best, but it's definitely acceptable for you know ninety percent of mainstream users. Great phone, great performance, unbelievably gorgeous display, um, and great build quality. I mean, it has a curved display as well. It's a curved. Uh, dual curved design, so curved back and front. Um, really just a beautiful device for the money. Thoughts about that before we close, Marco? Chris? <laughs> um, I, I dig that phone. Um, the lack of water resistance and, and headphone uh, jack yeah, is about IP68, yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit of a drawback, but yeah, for, for the money, there's zero arguing that it's a fantastic value. If you want, a, you know, if you want a killer phone and you need that performance, with that fast storage and all that memory for that price, it's a no brainer. Just put it in a good case. Don't worry about the water resistance. Be careful with it. <laughs> well, two things I will mention is that um, OnePlus doesn't offer, um, you know, an official IP uh, 67, 68 rating. But for example, the, I'm going to hold this up, the selfie cam that pops up, that thing's got a gasket built into it on the bottom of it. And so it, that is sealed this, uh, you know, gap up here where the camera has to come up when you, um, you know, when you activate the selfie cam 
and you know it is it is splash proof you know i would say that you're not going to go swimming with this phone you don't have an ip68 water resistant rating you can't take it down to however many meters and submerge it for a half an hour or whatever that requirement is but it's splash proof and so it's not completely devoid of protection there um and then uh yeah the headphone jack i wish it did have a headphone jack but other than that that's for me that's the only uh the only shortcoming. Chris, any thoughts on this thing? I know you're a battery I mean, life guy. So for you, maybe the battery life, but. Right. Yeah. The battery life is always going to be an issue for me, um, but it, it is a beautiful phone. I, I I just, I wish it could make more of that 4,000 milliamp hour battery. Um, yeah. You know, the, the 90 Hertz display is definitely going to help. It look smooth and silky. Um, doesn't seem like it makes too much of a noticeable difference kicking it down to 60 Hertz, but there is an impact there. Um, so it'd be really nice if they could work out the refresh switching, depending on context of what you're doing. So it is more yeah. adaptable. Um, yeah. Just get a, a little better average out of it there, but um, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, no, uh, I will say that there's, there's there is actually an auto switching mode uh, built into the OS. Um, that's one thing I didn't note in the review that I might go back and make a footnote for. It will auto switch between sixty and ninety hertz depending on your application. So if you're in YouTube and you've got a sixty hertz video, for example, it's going to switch uh, for you. But um, the display itself, actually, when you see sc- scrolling and screen animations at ninety hertz and how fast and smooth it is. And how comfortable it is on the eyes just to stare at versus this a 60 hertz OLED display. It does make a difference. It makes a significant difference. You would think it was just, you know, gimmicky, you know, when you're talking about a little six and a half inch, 6.6 inch display, but it's not. It's fantastic. Um, and uh, what else was I going to say about, uh, there was another thing I was thinking of, but eh, I'm going to move on. That's the OnePlus 7 Pro. Check it out. Um, the full review, I just dropped the link in the description or in the chat, actually. We'll be dropping it in the description along with the sh- rest of the show notes. Good stuff from the folks at OnePlus and uh, certainly on the price uh, side of things as well. And that about wraps it up. Any parting words before we sign off, gentlemen? We, we're, we're still getting too close to the hour, unfortunately. Marco, you wanted this to be a half-hour show. <laughs> I didn't say half hour. We just had to pick up the pace a little bit. But no, I think we, it was good, man. Good stuff. Lots. Of, come by the site because there was so much information uh, we posted about AMD. Dave's full review of that phone has a lot more info than we could cover here. Plus, we got tons of news. But yeah, all good stuff. It's going to be an exciting summer um, with everything AMD and everybody's doing. So uh, yeah, definitely come by the site. Yeah, man. Yeah. And we're going to have a contest again soon. I promise. If not for the 20th anniversary of hot hardware for, for some other reason, like the drop of a hat, we'll be giving stuff away. So stay tuned to not only hot but the show here where we try and get here on Wednesdays at 7 PM and uh, yeah, um, hit the thumbs up and subscribe and then the, the notification bell. So you can know when we're going live, Chris, any parting words of wisdom? How's that beer, buddy? Oh, the beer is gone, so I think it's a good (laughs) evening. And with that, we will bid you adieu. Thanks, everybody, for stopping by. Take care. Have a great evening.